Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. In the real world, you'll see the negative in people. But when you're through hiking, you're spending time with these people and you're with a group, you're trying to get the good things out of them. So it's like, okay, I'm spending more time with this person. How can I relate to this person? What's good about this person? So it's like the opposite. Appalachian Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world. We're back another week. It's Will. And Neil. What's up, my brother? What's going on? You know, everybody always says, my brother from another mother. I like saying, what's up, my brother from the same mother? Got a ring to it. Got a different ring. I think everybody knows that now, right? I don't know, man. We get new listeners every day. Every day. Trails that I travel, you know, I'm always talking about Appalachia Meets World. So I tell a lot of different people about it. So who knows who's listening to this show? Very good point. It's a big week, like most weeks, but Memorial Day weekend, which means? Yep, you. For us, what's it mean? Or for the rest of the country? For us. (laughs) For us, it means Mountain Law Festival. Family is long history with the... uh, KMLF. I know these two Appalachians couldn't be more proud of uh, what goes on in the small town of Pineville, Kentucky this weekend. That's exactly right. Four days of beautiful scenery and good times. You couldn't have said it better yourself, could you? You were really hoping and I kind of stole your thunder, didn't I? (laughs) You did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. So, As Appalachians, like we always talk about, we're rich in tradition, and uh, this is one that's been around for a long time, the second oldest festival in the state of Kentucky next to the Kentucky Derby. Our family has been involved in it for, I don't know, Will, what, 60, 70 years, 80? Yeah, generations. You know, we, we don't have any, you and I don't have any major role. Uh, but it's a great opportunity for us to go back to the city that we were born in each and every year and see a lot of familiar faces and enjoy the pageantry that is the Kentucky Mountain Laurel Festival. Absolutely. Like we said last week, it's really festival season in Appalachia. There's a lot going on, especially over Memorial Day weekend. A lot of festivals going on. If there's one in your hometown, check it out. Help those small towns. More importantly, have a good time. Yes, sir. Always a good time when Big Willie comes to town, right? (laughs) That's what our whole family says. I bring the Um, good time with me. Absolutely. It travels occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. What else you got in the app news world, man? Because that's kind of like I stole your thunder. I hate to do that, but 
Tell me something else going on in Appalachia. I got a little bit of that news. I wanted to mention, I know we mentioned it a few times, but the ARC Appalachian Leadership Institute, which I'm taking part in right now, the applications are due June the 1st. So right around the corner. So if you're interested in that, definitely get your applications in. I can't recommend it highly enough. If you're interested, if you're a leader, especially in economic development and community development, and really just have a passion for the region, check it out online. It's arc.gov. That's Appalachian Leadership Institute. We'll put it in the show notes, but it's June 1st. A little bit of other news. I just wanted to mention this real quick. There's an organization, Appalachian Sustainable Development. It serves farmers in Northeast Tennessee and Southwest Virginia and has been doing so since 1995. I just wanted to mention a little news that came out about them. They are pleased to announce the creation of four new staff positions that will work to serve small-scale farmers and food producers all throughout Central Appalachia. So it's a pretty big deal for them. Um, It's important for the region. Um, These positions are for at least five years. They will be a project manager, an agricultural manager, and support for building local markets and producers. And the team will allow uh, Appalachian Sustainable Development to expand their training, technical assistance, and financial resources to the underserved small-scale farmers throughout the region. So I think it's pretty important, especially for farming. I just wanted to mention that if you are in the area, if you have those skills and are interested, check them out. It's at asdevelop.org. We'll put in the show notes, but like I said, small-scale agricultural, small-scale farming is obviously important, not only for the farmers that this helps, but for our region as a whole. So check it out. That's really all I had, I wanted to mention that this past weekend was trail days. I don't know if you're familiar with trail days, Neil, but it's it's always the weekend after Mother's Day in a small town in Virginia called Damascus, Virginia. And they really have it to celebrate the hiking culture, but also the through hikers that are hiking the Appalachian Trail. Anybody that is through hike tr- always tries to make it back to Damascus during trail days. I think they bring in tens of thousands of people to this small town just for trail days. So it's a pretty popular event. It's a pretty cool event for that area. Damascus actually has a couple of trails that run through it. The Appalachian Trail runs literally through their downtown on their sidewalk. If you're walking the Appalachian Trail, you have to walk through Damascus. I just wanted to mention that in regards to the guests that we're having on tonight. Yes, sir. Will always good to talk to uh, trailheads, I guess you call them. Always fascinating stories, and I'm looking forward to talking about this. This this uh, this episode really likes last week's episode. You know, kind of gets us in the mode for summer, and we're talking a lot about festivals and vacationing and. Um, this this episode is just going to lead us right into more exposure for Appalachia and all the great things that you can do inside Appalachia. So just want to mention that before we get into it. But I'm looking forward to to getting our guest on. Yeah, definitely. Like you mentioned, you know, last week we talked about National Tourism Week. 
like you said, we, we want to have several episodes after this one just to focus on those festivals, focus on tourism a little bit in the area. So we're going to have some special episodes, not only the well-known tourism attractions in the area, but also some of the unique tourism attractions in the area. So this week, we're going to be talking about the Appalachian Trail. And one of those persons that has through hiked the Appalachian Trail is Mr. Derek Lugo, a.k.a. Mr. Fabulous. And we'll let him talk about that nickname. That's his trail name a little bit more. I wanted to ask you, Neil, since we're going to get into that, do you think you, what do you think your trail name would be? Uh, well, Will, I'd probably still you know, the Tin Man. So I stole it first. So now that you know you couldn't be the Tin Man, that's T-E-N, uh, just for our listeners. What what would yours be? I don't know. You know, um, the thing about trail names, they say that someone else has to give it to you on the trail. So you have to kind of earn it. But I can see that. I, I, I think I would talk to you enough to know that you would mention the number one zero multiple times. I think being with you daily, walking a trail, I could probably name you Tin Man. I don't know, maybe, maybe, and I've heard this often. Maybe, maybe my trail name would be Honest Abe. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, we all we would go back. Some of my some of our listeners might remember this, but we might just resort resort back to your high school days and 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 call you Tonto. I like it. I like it. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Tonto and Tin Man on the AT. That's right. That's Been getting right. better than that. But without further ado, why don't we just talk to a man who actually has through hiked the entire trail? Just wait till you hear, hear his story. He's someone from the big city of New York, had never hiked before in his life, didn't even know if he liked to hike, had never camped outside, just decided on a whim that he was going to through hike the Appalachian Trail. Let's, without further ado, man, let's get him on. All right, let's do it. On the show today, we have Derek Lugo. He's an accomplished storyteller, best known really as the author of his book, The Unlikely through hiker which is a memoir really of stories from his six months journey or through hike through the Appalachian trails he's an author he's a storyteller he's an outdoor enthusiast he's a public speaker and better known as Mr. Fabulous which we'll <laughs> let him describe as we get into the questions but Derek I just want to thank you for being on the show thank you for taking the time man we really appreciate it thanks for the invite I totally appreciate it like most Appalachians are big on history big on tradition our family's big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We have this gigantic spread of appetizers where we eat more there than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, Derek, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? I'm a vegan, so that's kind of tricky. And it changes as as uh, people start discovering more veganism. I've been a vegan now, I think, eight years. And in the beginning, it was kind of tough to kind of incorporate any kind of like holiday that has like a feast in it, Thanksgiving, <laughs> Christmas and all that. Cause really all I could do was eat sides. I would say um, I'll give you a dessert that I love that I made uh, a vegan version of it. It's so good is uh, I love pumpkin pie. Oh yeah. 
I love this so much that I was like, man, I'm a vegan. I got to find out how to make this as a vegan. And I did it and it was just as good. So, so I, I got to ask whipped cream on top or, or something, ice cream on the side. Ice cream. Now they have like some amazing non-dairy ice cream. They call it like dessert. So yes, I'll have like some vegan ice cream and I'll have, uh, they, they have vegan whipped cream too. So I, I put all that on there. Yeah. Walnut. Love it. Maybe we'll just ask you, can you tell our listeners a, that don't know you or of you a little bit about yourself, your, your life before you hiked the AT and, and what led you to actually hiking the AT? I didn't really get into it in your intro, but you really were not a hiker. You had never hiked in your life. You had never camped out in your life when you decided to do the AT. So maybe just talk a little bit about yourself and again, your life before and why you decided. I didn't even know if I liked hiking before I started <laughs> the Appalachian Trail. I'm from New York City. And um, all I knew about the outdoors pretty much was like the outdoors to me was the city itself. The woods was Central Park, you know, like that's all I knew. That was the extent of the outdoors for me when it came to like hiking or anything like that. But I'm also a big reader and someone handed me a book and they were like, hey, this is a funny read, read it. And it was Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. And this was years ago. Now I threw hiked 11 years ago. I was handed that book maybe 10 years before that. I read it. Yeah, it was funny. But the one thing that stuck out was this hard trail that Bill Bryson, it was so hard for him that he couldn't even, you know, he didn't even finish it. Throughout my entire life, I always wanted to do like challenges and do something different because, you know, I come from poor family. My mom never got to do, she raised three kids. Uh, and then before that, she was the oldest of 12. And she was helping raise those kids in, in in Brooklyn, New York. And she never really had a chance to do a lot of things that a young adult would want to do. And I decided, you know what, I'm doing, I'm going to do this not just for myself, but to share it with my mom and, you know, my family. One of the things was traveling around the world. And after reading A Walk in the Woods, it was like, yeah, maybe I'll do it. But who knows? It's like a pipe dream, like wanting to travel around the world, run a marathon. Didn't really know if I was going to do it. Probably not. Uh, but it was a great idea. It was a great thing to have in my head, I should say. And uh, I came back from living in Italy for a year. And I really didn't have, I didn't have anything else planned. Like I didn't have to go back to, to Italy. I, I had finished that project I was working on. And uh, I wanted to do something. It's going to sound weird, but I wanted to do something American. So after being... <laughs> overseas and trying to speak another language and struggling with that. Although I speak Spanish and Italian is kind of close to it, but it was like one of those things where um, yeah, I was still struggling with it. So I wanted to stay in America and be around English speaking people. I had enough money saved. I didn't have crazy responsibilities. And I said, let me take a few months before I decide what my next step is going to be as far as work and what have you. And I said, maybe I'll, you know, buy a, a, a cheap car and you drive across country and meet people. It was all about meeting people, new people. I was always a people person and just discover America. Like one of my favorite books is a um, Steinbeck book called Travels with Charlie. Back then, I'm not sure if they had uh, trailers or like uh, RVs or anything, but he had a pickup truck that he had converted into like something he can live in and camp in with his right. dog. And he just started traveling with the pickup with his dog, Charlie. 
And I thought that was so amazing how like he would hit these like backcountry roads and meet some amazing people. And I wanted to do that. But uh, as I was laying in bed, I remember I was staying with my friends in the upper uh, in the Upper West Side and he had an extra room. I'm laying in bed. It was about 12 o'clock, one o'clock at night. And it just hit me. I said, you know what? How about that trail that Bill Bryson was talking about in his book? <laughs> I Googled it to see what would be the best time to actually through hike. I found out the word was through hike the Appalachian Trail. And it was like around spring, middle of March. It was the beginning of, of March when I when I read this. When I read that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Not even knowing, like I've never pitched a tent, never camped out, didn't know if I like hiking. Within a week and a half of deciding I was going to through hike, I was on the trail. <laughs> and all the gear I had in my pack, I didn't know how to use. <laughs> there, nobody does that. <laughs> no one does that. Who does no that? Does that. <laughs> you, you know, I, I've read your book. It, it's It's a great book of humorous, sometimes sad, sometimes treacherous stories. It's a great collection of stories. But in, in your book, in the very beginning, you know, you met a group on the trail, I guess, a uh, first couple of days into your journey that you really traveled with throughout. One, I, I wondered, is this typical along the AT? And how important was that you knowing nothing about hiking? How important was that to you meeting that group in the beginning? It is typical. And I didn't know that uh, when I first got in. I thought I was going to be hiking alone throughout the entire AT. Now imagine that being from New York City and I'm going to be in the woods by myself, sleeping out. <laughs> in the woods. That's terrifying. But I was like, you know what? If this dude that was overweight in this book and he tried it, you know, and he was doing it, I said, let me let me attempt this. I think for me, it was more of a challenge. Now, what I didn't realize was that the AT, the through hike wasn't going to be just me on the trail. And that was it. A through hike is more than that. It's the uh, outdoor community, which I I quickly learned was a thing. And if it wasn't for other through hikers, I don't think I would have been able to complete it. One, because, again, I didn't know how to use all my gear. And there's a chapter in my book called Lessons at Springer Mountain where I learned how to use everything that I should have learned months or years ago. And there was a couple of hikers that were helping me. And the thing is, is that there was no judgment out there. Everyone knew I had zero experience. I, I swear it. It was like a big sign on my forehead saying this guy has zero experience. He could get hurt out here. You know, no one was judging me. It was just like, Hey man, we're glad you're out here. Let's just do this. Cause when you're out there with other through hikers, we just want to all succeed. In the beginning, there's a lot of through hikers that are attempting to through hike. The percentage of people, and I think it's still true to this day, 25% of people that attempt to through hike actually finish a through hike. But in the beginning, the campsites are packed for like the first week, two weeks. I was hiking alone the first day, first two days. And then after that, I met people at the campsite. And then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of like connect with people. I say this all the time where in the real world, you need like an icebreaker to when you meet a, a stranger, you know, how do you strike a conversation and all that. On the AT, the icebreaker is right there. You know, we're just through hiking. And the first day, your friends, second day, your best friends, after that, your family. So it was really easy. And I always say that time goes a lot faster, faster on the AT. So, you know, like you're experiencing so much that you probably every day that you probably wouldn't experience for like months or years in like outside of the Appalachian Trail when you're with a social setting with other people. 
So yeah, within a week, I was hiking with an amazing group that I named the Moving Village. When I say you hike, it's really like you're not necessarily hiking right next to them or behind them or or in front of them. It's like you're on a trail with them and we'll decide, hey, we're going to so-and-so camp. And either you hike with them or you don't, but then you end up in the same camp area. And my thing is, to this day, I can hike by myself or or alone, but I like camping with people. That's my thing. Now, I've, I've camped alone, but being in a campsite with others and just... I love having camp conversations. There's days when you don't want to talk to anyone, but just to know that the comfort of having others around you, I like that. I, I can tell from the book, obviously you said before, you know, you're a people person and in your travels, you like meeting people. And I guess it's it's easier on the trail because like you said, you have that icebreaker, but your book's really, really great for the listeners out there that are curious about your stories throughout the book. Definitely check out his website. Go go get his book. It not only tells your stories, but it kind of gives someone perspective or at least a vision of what it would be like actually hiking the trail themselves. But in the title to your book, which is really cool as well, The Unlikely Through Hiker, I almost felt like in reading it that it had two separate meanings or the idea behind it maybe did. One, you'd never hike before. You're not a hiker, which you which you uh, pointed out. But two, also representing people of color on the trail, which I'm sure you get asked about on occasion. Because at a time when you actually hiked the trail 11 years ago, there probably wasn't a lot of diversity on the trail. I wanted to ask you about that. One, from your title, have you combined both of those or is it really focused on one? I know in the book you touch on kind of the diversity really just in one chapter. You don't really focus on it in your book. You talk about it a little bit in that one chapter, but that's pretty much pretty much it. And you also have a podcast or had a podcast. I think it was called Unlikely Stories where you didn't just focus on the BIPOC community, you focused on everyone. I wanted to ask you, was there intent behind that? Was there intent behind your title and uh, starting your journey? Did you even know there wasn't much diversity on the trail? Well, no one's ever kind of broke it down to me like that. That's really great. Um, A great question. Didn't even know that was a thing, dude. (laughs) I didn't know a lot of things when I first started. I didn't realize I'm from New York City, you know, the melting pot of the world. There's, we're all different types that are in this amazing city. And the way I found out that the AT needed more flavor, as I, I put it, <laughs> um, uh, were others telling me this. Like, I walked into it. Yeah, I'm surrounded by people that didn't look like me, but it just didn't cross my mind. It wasn't something I think about. Obviously, I see color. That part of my brain, it's like, okay, you're different than I am. And no, I, I can't, it, it didn't, I don't, doesn't, my brain doesn't work that way. And, uh, but people would come up to me and they would say, hey, yo, it's, it's really cool that you're out here. You know, thank, thanks for being out here. We appreciate it. And I go, well, hey, I'm glad you're out here. Thank you for being out here. You know, not really <laughs> understanding what they were saying. Everyone that approached that topic approached it, whereas it wasn't anything malicious. People weren't weren't saying, hey, you know, why are you out here on a trail? I mean, you know, we don't see many like you. Why are you out? It wasn't like that. It was some of them may have said it in an awkward way. Like I had this one guy just stop and say, hey, you know how the Smokies has a bunch of different trails and not just the AT. And he stopped and was like, hey, I've hiked all these trails and you're the first person of color I've seen through hiking or one of the first 
that was the first thing that came out of his mouth. It wasn't like, hey, how you doing? How'd you do? I saw it in his eyes that he just wanted to share that with me because he was so excited. He was like, yo, man, this is really great. When I found this out in the beginning, I thought it was kind of sad. Again, I didn't know if I liked uh, through hiking, but then within a few days, I fell in love with it. And I said, hey, this is something amazing. You know, I wish I would have done it earlier, but this is something everyone should experience. And it kind of like took me aback. I try to fight it in my head. So I would start looking for people that were like not white. Let's just say it. And I ran into two people that were two people of color different time, two different times. And it was a day hike and it was their first time out there on the trail. I couldn't understand it. I, a part of me knew why, because I, I can I can share my experience. I can't speak for the entire black community or the Latino community, but I can share my experience. And a lot and a lot of it is what's what's happening. A lot of like what, why I wasn't on the trail early, why I just discovered it. I only discovered it because I like to read. I didn't read it because I saw a person of color that was doing this amazing thing. And I was like, okay, let me, let me try it. I just stumbled into it. You know, like I'm not looking to read a hiking book because it's not in my world. Someone said, this is funny. Bill Bryson is an amazing writer. He has so many different works, all different types. And it just happens that this is one of his most popular books and someone handed it to me. So it was luck. So then from that moment on, I decided this is something I want to share. And halfway through it, I remember speaking to someone at a hostel, older woman. I remember she was sewing a quilt. <laughs> it was just crazy. It was at a hostel. And she, I was sharing my story. She said, dude, you got to write your story. And I'm not sure if she knew I was a writer or not. I had written a bunch of stuff before and I had a journal along the way. She said, you have to write about this. People need to know about it. Now, I didn't go. And you talk about how I only touched on the whole BIPOC thing, being the only person of color. First of all, I wanted to double check to see if I was the only person of color because I didn't see any. Harper's Ferry at the ATC, Appalachian Trail Conservancy, they have a record of like the people that go through there, the ones that register and all that. And I looked through all of it. I was meticulous about it. I wanted to make sure I looked and not just by the way they look, but maybe reach out to people and stuff. I did my research and I couldn't find anyone else. I, I was the only person that season, but I didn't want to write a book, a BIPOC book. And I love that you brought up my podcast as well. Long story short, I had a different host for that podcast. It was going to be me and someone of color. That fell through because they had a different vision. They only wanted to focus on people of color. I didn't want to do that for many reasons. One, I did the podcast a couple of years ago, and I'm working on doing a second season. It's not official, but I am working. You're the first to hear this, by the way. So by then, my book had came out, and the people that were really supporting me, showing me love, and gave me this platform weren't the people of color. And obviously, I want everyone to be out there on the trail. I wasn't going to turn my back on the people that actually helped me be, you know, who I am, have the platform, have the voice that I have. I'm a big believer that the outdoors, the outdoor community is made up of a bunch of different communities. And I wanted that podcast to be, every episode has something for everyone. You had a female through hiker that was breaking records. You had a black uh, hiker, an African hiker that was one of the first uh, Black Africans to to summit Mount Everest, like twice, you know, and then I had um, a drag queen, you know, like I had a bunch of different people. And then so in the book, I didn't want to say, hey, look, this is why I'm unlikely. I'm a unicorn on a trail. There you go. 
I didn't want to bring out the black card. That's not how I roll. I've never did that. There was no reason for me. I'm from New York City. Again, like I was, I'm, we're just all the same to me. You know what I mean? Like, I, obviously, we're all different, but we're all humans is my point. So in the book, I just wanted to share my story. I wanted to say, hey, and I wanted to, there's some points in there that I am unlikely because in reality, the most important one for me was that I had zero experience. I've never hiked before. And now I'm attempting to do a 2,200 mile through hike. That's in itself is unlikely. Now you want to add more unlikely than I uh, eventually learn that, you know, I'm, I was the only person of color. So it added to that. I didn't want to just focus on one thing. And again, I just wanted to share my story and everything yeah. would fall into place and you get what you get from it. You think it's changed over the last 11 years in regards to diversity? I just threw hike the Continental Divide Trail uh, last year. That's 10 years after I did the AT. I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of people of color. Let me see. I'm trying to think how many I saw. I may have seen, I've seen some. So 10 years past, you know, it went from zero to seeing me in one or two or three. Some got off the trail. I think I only know one person of color that was going northbound that actually finished. Well, two now, including myself, but I'm sure there were others. So it's changed. It's growing. You know, do you feel like that's a burden for you as a role model? I mean, do you feel like you carry that weight with you that you have to represent? Here's something I've never told anyone. People expect it from me. They expect it like when they see me or they take me out to like, um, they, uh, I do like talks all over the place. It's kind of like when they do an advertisement, they're like, here's Derek diversifying the trail. They expect, they think that's what I'm all about, which I'm really about just sharing the outdoors with everyone. When you say Derek's here to diversify, I don't want to be pinpointed to like, I'm only focusing on one group. That's not what I'm doing at all. Oh, I like no, okay. that point because when I read your title, like I mentioned before, I expected one thing going into reading your book, and I took so much more from it. Exactly, exactly. You got more out of it because if I would have just focused on the BIPOC, you would be like just reading a story that really you couldn't relate with. You know what I mean? Like everyone can relate with my story. Everyone. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on that uh, just a little bit. And you, you mentioned, you, obviously you mentioned you're from Brooklyn, but you mentioned uh, coming from a single mother household, but we, we had a guest on not too long ago on here from Brooklyn, born and raised. His name was Ramel Smooth Bradley, very proud Brooklynite, loves where he's from, but now he lives in Eastern Kentucky in the Appalachian Mountains and works for App Harvest. And speaking to him, there were so many more similarities between how Neil and I grew up. We, we grew up in a very unrepresented area, very poor area. Ramel grew up in the inner city. There's so many more similarities in how we grew up than there were differences. That being a strong community culture, he had a very strong family culture. Faith was very important to him. Food was very important to his family. Just these similarities kind of took us aback, you know what I mean, of how similar we were. And we would never have known that had we not learned a little bit more about Ramel. Having spent time in the region through the Appalachian Trail and maybe Maybe it's a little different because you were on their trail a lot, but did you notice some of these similarities between, you know, how you grew up and maybe your culture and some of the aspects of Appalachia, the region? I did. 
First of all, when you're on the trail, I was hiking with people that I probably would have never hung out because my world was different. Although I was a people person, I was only around certain types of people in New York City. You know, like New York City, it's 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 a different world in itself. So I was hi- hanging out or I was hiking with this farmer kid just looked like, you know, this farmer country dude, you know, that I would have never hung <laughs> out with. And he had like, he's in my book. His name was The Kid. And he had like this goofy laugh. And you would think like, oh, he's just not a bright dude. He's from the country and, and, and he's, you know, he's a farmer or whatever. But in reality, he was quick witted, funny, had the same sense of humor that I had. Anyone that can make me laugh, I love. So yeah, there were like people, like there were so many things that, and again, we're from different worlds, but when you take away the outside world, the distractions, and you're put in a situation where all you're doing is just walking along this trail, everything is gone. And when I did the AT, I had a BlackBerry, you know, like phones weren't where they were now. And I only had the BlackBerry for emergencies. I didn't use use it for uh, pictures or any of that. I had a camera. So when you take all that away, you just have humans together, you know, and when you're connecting with people, you find and you see, you know what, it's just hitting me right now that when you're out there, man, you're bringing a lot of like new ideas into my head. And I love this. In the real world, sometimes, and maybe this is just me, you'll see the negative in people. You're you're like, why should like, I shouldn't hang out with this person because of this, this, and that, okay? But when you're through hiking, you're spending time with these people and you're with a group, you're trying to get the good things out of them. So it's like, okay, I'm spending more time with this person. How can I relate to this person? What's good about this person? So it's like the opposite of what you normally do. That's, for me, is just amazing. And I don't know why it's just hitting me right now after all these years, you know? We do our podcast in large largely what we focus on is place and perspective but we've we've learned through doing our podcast that we're all much more similar than we are different we we just don't always realize that in the beginning like you said touching on the negatives first i also wanted to mention again you're brooklyn born from nyc but you hiked in a region of appalachia like i mentioned that is often unrepresented it's very stereotyped did you think about that going into your hike along the way did you want to try to maybe better understand the region or is it just the challenge for you getting through the trail or did you really want to maybe understand the people the heritage the history of the of the region i i say that because the reason we started this podcast is really dispel some of the misconceptions about the region i Mm. feel like we are often uh misrepresented but uh, i wanted to ask you that but also you know what were your perceptions of appalachia going into it so when i told my family i was going to through height and my friends first thing that came out of my brother's mouth was like and I didn't mention this in the book. He was like, look, man, there, there's like rednecks down there, you know? <laughs> and then uh, my friend Nina was like, you ever see deliverance? You know, like you know, all these. And I couldn't, I had a, a really funny thing about deliverance in uh, my book, but my publisher was like, you can't do that. Cause it like, there's some things that happen in deliverance that we don't want in, in this book. And I was like, I get that. So I switched it around. But in a podcast, I'm just going to be real and tell you that, yeah, I, I I knew about the South in my head, especially Georgia in the woods, bad things happen to people, especially people of color. Okay. 
when I approached this, I knew the Appalachian Trail wasn't an undiscovered country. Okay, I knew thousands and thousands of people attempted to through. Now, it wasn't something that it's more popular now, 10 years later, especially after Walking in the Woods, the movie. But after reading the book, and then I saw a couple videos, I knew that it was a thing and it was like well maintained. So I wasn't worried about that part of it. And I did a little bit of research as far as the, uh, you know, the crime and all that. There's more crime in Brooklyn there than there is on the trail. Okay. Obviously okay. things happen, things happen everywhere, you know, but for the most part, you could probably count all the bad things that happen on the AT in like one hand and throughout through hiking, you know, how many, how many years is that 60 years or whatever, not, not a lot of things. And as far as like attacks, bear attacks and all that wildlife, it's, it's rare. Normally bears run off for me, for some reason, they started following me, but yeah, that's you got a good story in your book. Yeah, for, yeah, for the listeners. They need to check that out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, <laughs> so I knew that part of it. The one thing that really worried me and I mentioned it in the book was I have long hair and I wasn't worried about the animals, the people out in the woods, any of that. The one thing that I was really worried about was uh, Lyme disease ticks. Yeah, I knew about it. My, my family warned me about it. My friends were like, yo, you're not going to do this, right? But I did it. Something told me just to do it. It was the right thing, the right time. And I'm, I'm always one that if a door opens, I try to walk right through it. I, I And I also understand if I miss that open door, then another one will open. I'm glad you're out there as, a, as another voice to dispel some of those misconceptions about the region. And we appreciate that. I wouldn't love it as much if I was terrified of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. A Walk in the Woods is not the most positive book about through hiking. It's just a great written book. It's funny. Yeah. And I remember writing my book and I said, as I was writing my book, I decided that I was going to do the opposite of what he did. Because I'm not going to inspire anyone to do anything outdoors if it was all like, you know, I was scared and this and that. I needed to, every chapter, or at least I tried, each chapter was a story in itself. So you can grab a chapter and read it. Because I love books like that. And it was short chapters. And it, each chapter had like, almost like a conclusion where like, yeah, I got knocked down, but I got back up. And that's what it's about. You know, it's not about getting down and just uh, dwelling on it. I want to make sure that people saw that if I stayed down, there was no way I was going to finish the AT. And I want to see people watch me grow throughout this entire journey and see how I went from having zero experience to learning a bit and all the struggles and what it took to actually finish this, this big adventure. Speaking of those stories, you know, like you like you mentioned, your book's just full of story after story, chapter after chapters, 20 plus chapters. And I think you would suggest this as well. You're I would suggest that you're a pro, prolific storyteller. That's an important aspect to the Appalachian heritage as well. Storytelling. Appalachians, I know, take great pride in storing storytelling. I, I just wanted to ask you about your stories since you mentioned a few, do you have a favorite hiking story? And then I want to ask you about the elephant in the room. What was the uh, first in the woods bathroom break like for you? <laughs> Were you worried about that? Let me answer that one first. That was a thing for me where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to peep, uh, poop outside <laughs> for the first time ever. When I got to Springer Mountain, 
I was amazed by the privy. I was just walking around and looking. I was like, how does this work? And I saw that there was like a barrel underneath the toilet and they had a toilet seat. So, and I was like, why is there a toilet seat? Just so we feel comfortable. Like it could have just been a hole and whatever, like, cause you don't, you're not flushing. For me, it was, it blew my mind, dude. Like I'm from New York city. I've never pooped outside. <laughs> and when I did it, I was like, yo, this is incredible. I, <laughs> and then also another thing that I don't think about now was I get to pee outside. In fact, they encourage it. I remember <laughs> sign on the privy. They were like, pee out in the woods. And I was like, people want me to pee outside? I've never done that. Okay, wait a minute. I did it one time when I was drunk in Central Park, and I, but I wouldn't <laughs> do that. It's been years now, so but you're not supposed to do that, you know. Like that's incredible. I was like, they want me to actually pee outside, and then like when I first started doing it, I would take my pack off and then go in and pee, and then after a while, you just keep your pack on and you can just like go in, in the woods or whatever. Again, all the little things that people may take for granted that been doing this for years. I found it really interesting and I was able to write about it. Here's something that I'm going to mention. There's a lot of books about the Appalachian Trail, okay? But there aren't a lot of good books about the Appalachian Trail because what happens is that people think what they think is really interesting doesn't necessarily translate when they write, okay? I write a book, uh, a writing book by Stephen King called In Writing. And he mentioned that a good writer is someone that can make something mundane sound interesting. And I knew going into this, in my head, all this stuff is the most interesting thing in the world. But I also knew, just like there's times when you have a great story and in your head, it's amazing. When you tell it, you're like, Dang, if I said it out loud and it doesn't sound interesting, you know, <laughs> we've all done it. And I knew that if, I, if that blew my mind, I had to find the ingredients, the right words, the right thoughts, in my whole book, it's in the present tense because I wanted people to experience it as I was doing it. And I guess I just found the right words and, and the recipe to actually make it sound interesting. So yeah, bathroom, like it blew my mind. <laughs> you wouldn't think so, but it blew my mind. I have a bunch of stories, but I think my favorite story is uh, when I settled on the trail name, Mr. Fabulous. Now, for your audience, I don't know if they know what a trail name is. When you're through hiking the Appalachian Trail or any long distance trail, you're doing something out of the ordinary away from your real world. So um, your real name, you get a different name. You get like a, a, a handle or a, just a nickname for being out there. And uh, normally someone else gives it to you. So it's like something you did or you said or the way you looked, you know, something that kind of relates and describes who you are. And I thought that was the most amazing thing because I already was giving people nicknames before I threw hype, <laughs> you know, because I'm I'm not the best to remember names. So I'll come up with a nickname and then I just keep using it over and over again. I was like, this is, this is great. These guys are helping me out here. <laughs> I was hiking with the Moving Village within a week. I love sharing this story because it's just emphasized how much the AT changed who I was. Everyone had a trail name. It was a week into our hike and they were like, except for me. And they were like, hey, Derek, why don't we, when we get to camp, share a little bit about yourself. We want to get to know you. And then maybe we can figure, you know, a name out for you. I was like, sure. I'm like, I don't mind talking about myself. Why not? <laughs> 
before I got on a trail, I was what you would call, and Nina would call me this, is a metrosexual, which is someone that likes to stay groomed, wearing designer clothes, you know, staying fresh and clean and all that. You know, I have locks. What's that? True New Yorker. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) And and I wasn't the only one because, you know, all my friends are like that, you know? And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to take showers along the way. And hikers are known to not bathe for a long time and grow beards and all that. And I said, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't going to roll like that. I'm going to, I'm going to shave at like water, like sources, like streams, lakes, whatever we find. Even if water came out of like a pipe, I was going to bathe, give myself a bird bath. I had wipes. Like I was going to say, stay fresh and clean. And then I joked that uh, I wish I had a full length mirror that I could pull out and kind of like check it, check, check myself out and make sure that I looked fresh, you know? And Overdrive, another through hiker, was like, hey, you're you're a Mr. Fabulous. I was like, what? He's like, you're a Mr. Fabulous. And I said, uh-uh. There's no way I'm going to be able to call myself a Mr. Fabulous. It's just, I'm not doing it. He was like, just try it for a couple of days. See, if, you know, just try it. And it turns out Mr. Fabulous also comes from this. You ever, you, do you remember the Blues Brothers uh, movie? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the trumpet player. He's like this suave guy. His name is Mr. Fabulous. Before that, people were trying to call me, and I always they were trying to call me New York and and Marley, and I w- always wanted a, a trail name that had a story behind it. And Marley, and you know Marley, because I have like locks, and New York, because I'm from New York. It, there's just not a story there. So I wanted something that would like have something I can share with others. So it's like, all right, I'll I'll use it for a while. So I'm a few days into sharing my story. And every time I share my story, I was almost apologizing to people like, hey, you know, I didn't name myself, you know, sorry. (laughs) But the reaction I was getting was smiles and they wanted to hear why I got Mr. Fabulous. And it, I had the story, you know, it's what I wanted. People were just laughing and smiling and they were like kind of digging it. But the one day that sealed the deal for me was I was hiking alone. It was a it was, I was going northbound, obviously, and there was a group of uh, elderly hikers, about a dozen of them going southbound. And I was stepping aside for them and they heard I was through hiking. They were wishing me luck, asking me questions and stuff like that. <clears throat> and the last woman, she was like, she was much older than them. She was smaller. She had a cane. She had an aide. Like she was old. She was older than the Appalachian Trail. Like she was pretty old. And She's going along the trail. She she heard I was through hiking and she asked me what my trail name was. And I said, ma'am, they, it, it's Mr. Fabulous. And without missing a beat, she goes, oh, my gosh, I've been waiting for Mr. Fabulous my entire life. <laughs> and she reaches up, gives me a kiss on my cheek. And she kind of like storms off with a little pep in her step. And she's twirling her cane and her aide is chasing after her. And it's like. What is like Mr. Fabulous the cure for old age? Like it was just like, and at that moment I said, you know what? That name is not just about me. Cause to this day, I don't think I'm Mr. Fabulous. You know, I just and it's it's my name has evolved to now it's fab. I love that there was a story behind it and everyone was just curious and it was just nothing but smiles, you know, no judgment or anything like that. I wanted to ask you about another through hiker that we've actually had on the show. He had his own trail name, Nimble Will Nomad, but he's the oldest hiker to to hike the trail. We were talking to him. He got a little deep at times when we spoke about the trail, kind of this, the spiritual nature of just hiking in general for him. 
you know, people talk about the trail and you mentioned it earlier being a life changing experience, but the practical side in me, I can't envision myself changing or at least going into it thinking I'm going to change just because I'm walking on a trail. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe that's a pessimist in me. I, I don't know. But um, did you go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to change my life based on hiking this trail? Or was it just a challenge for you? Was it just something you wanted to do? I'm going to say that when I say it changed my, my, my life, it's more that it added to it. That's how it changed. It added to my life. Now, walking into it, I've heard, oh, yeah, you hike the Appalachian Trail, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change your life. I honestly didn't think anything <laughs> of it. I was just like, I don't know. You know what's going to happen is I'm going to have, I'm going to hike this entire trail and I'm just going to go back to New York City bartending and say, hey, I hiked the Appalachian Trail. That's all I thought was going to happen. I did this great challenge. Like, again, like running a marathon, I would say, hey, I ran a marathon. And people were like, oh, that's cool. That's all I thought was going to happen. Now, what ended up happening, what happening was I fell in love with it and all these different things that it is in the book changed who I deeply am. I went from living a New York life where really it was just about me. Like, let's make the money. Let's just live your life. You're in New York City. To now I stepped out of it, falling in love with the outdoors, wanting to share it with others educate i actually i went from bartending in new york city running i was like a general manager of a, a one a really popular bar in midtown new york city to now educating people about the outdoors now if i wanted to to make money i would stick with what i was doing in new york city love doesn't even cover how i feel about the 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 yeah, really cool. what came out of it there's a chapter in my book called a suspicious mind being from new york city you know <laughs> Someone comes up to you and a stranger and they're talking to you, you're like, what, what do they want from me? Right. You know, especially out in the middle of the streets and they stop you. And it's like, where's my wallet? You know, <laughs> what do you want from me? To having people give me, you know, trail magic, food, because when you're a hiker, you're through hiking, you're hungry. That's the best gift they can give you or water when there's you know, no water source or ride into town. All these things was happening to me. It was just blowing my mind. It took me a while to accept it. And then once I started accepting it, then I started feeling guilty. I was like, why do I deserve this? Why are they doing this for me? Just because I decided to hike a trail. And then I, I kept trying to figure out what can I give back while I'm on the trail? I'm not waiting until I'm done. Like there's people out here that are giving us so much, like so much. How do I express my appreciation? A thank you is not enough. And I started realizing I, I, I like reading people because that's the writer in me where I, I try to figure out not necessarily I'm not judging them or anything. I'm just trying to figure out what kind of people they are and how they fit into my story. And I started to notice that people that were leaving Trail Magic or helping us along the way wanted to know our experience, wanted to find out more about our adventure. And I said, you know what? What I think I'm pretty good at is storytelling. And that stems from when I was a little kid and I used to talk my way out of stuff. <laughs> you know, my siblings used to get in trouble. My friends used to get in trouble. And I was really good at talking my way out of stuff. <laughs> and I, as I got older, I realized this is something that, you know, I use it for good, not evil, you know, <laughs> with right, these right. powers. <laughs> so I decided when I met people along the way that were helping me, that I would share my story in whatever way I can and make it as interesting as possible. And that's how they were 
you know, that's how they were uh, connecting with me. And I knew I had, I wanted to take that outside of the Appalachian Trail. So it took me six months to through hike the AT, but I've, I've been li- reliving it for 10 years, 11 years now with my writing, with my talks now, like this is just who I am now. It's, and I've done uh, the CDT, I threw hike last year and people asked me to compare it to their different trails, but the AT, that's, that's my first love. You never forget your yeah. first love. It's always going to be there for me. So I, I actually, if you had answered it this way, I probably would have been very skeptical. It wasn't this evangelical spiritual thing to walk the trail. It was, it was, but it was literally, whether it be career or whatever, but changing your life path. It literally changed your life path. It wasn't this spiritual awakening, but it changed your life path, which I think is really cool. I heard a story of another through hiker when he finished, people were telling him that he was a little calmer. Like he knew something, you know what I mean? Like he was just like, he was just there present. So it's different for everyone. And you're right. There's not a cloud that opens up and there's a voice that says, this is your life. No. And people were, I I wrote about that in the book and people were asking, like, I heard it changes your life and this and that. It's like, no, it kind of like, just go along with the ride. It'll happen. You may not know right away, but you see there's something you're, if anything, you did something incredible. And I tell people this all the time. I tell all my through hiker friends, I'm like, if you go for a new job, put that in your application that you through hike the Appalachian Trail, because that's impressive. No doubt. You, you know, you mentioned trail magic, people offering that on the trail. I wanted to, to talk about people on the trail. You know, I mentioned the region, wanted to touch on the region a little bit again, but it's often underrepresented, but it's also on paper, one of the poorest regions, or at least part of the Appalachian Trail, one of the poorest regions in the country. In fact, I think a lot of people that actually live near the trail wouldn't be able to afford to actually through hike the trail. So I wanted to ask one, how expensive is it? I'm just kind of curious in that regards to actually through hike the trail. And uh, upon your completion, have you ever thought about that aspect of it? Just people that wouldn't be able to afford it. Is there a way to get them out there? I know you promote the trail, you promote hiking. Is there a way to get those people that couldn't afford it to actually be able to maybe not through hike, but day hike, weekend hike, you know what I mean? Um, or even through hike. Yeah, there's a lot of la- there's a lot of layers there. So when I through hike 10, 11 years ago, it was, I think it was like a dollar fifty a mile, right? And it's like 2200 miles. I think it might be like 175 now. And also we're not counting, you know, gear and all that. Like you just need to have like a little cushion of money even afterwards. Cause remember you're out of work for six, five to six months. I used to say this all the time is that where I'm from, people could probably relate to this. Like we've never, we didn't go camping and all that for like three reasons that I came up with. And it's, you know, I'm speaking for myself financially, obviously like we, you know, gear is expensive. We don't have tents and all this stuff that could be handed down from family member to family member. You know, like they weren't my my parents or my mom wasn't taking me camping because uh, we just couldn't afford it. We were trying to save the money to survive for food. Right. Two is lore, like people talking about like, you know, us thinking that the woods is bad movies, you know, do with a machetes in the woods or chainsaw, you know, especially in the South. You know, bad things. We don't go in the woods. 
And then three is educate. We weren't educated about it. There was no material out there. There weren't teachers or books out there teaching us about the outdoors, through hike or anything like that. There's a lot now. And I'm grateful that I get a lot of messages from um, English teachers that are teaching my book to their students. I wish there was a book like that when I was a kid. And I made sure to make this book kid-friendly. When I say kid-friendly, I wanted parents to feel comfortable reading this book to their kids. So there's not a lot of curses, but I wanted it to be kid-friendly because I wanted to inspire all. Now, I can't guarantee that for the second book, but (laughs) I have one book. And I'm also working on a children's book. So you're going to have two pieces of material that talks about the outdoors and hiking and all that. And then the others might be for adults. (laughs) But Those are the three main things is that all those three wasn't there for me. Now that I did it, I said, I want to help change that. So I started with my my book. Okay, that's just educating people about it and also getting rid of that. The folklore of like, you know, bad things can happen. Now, as far as it being expensive, I can't be giving out money. But what I do is I try to show people that there's other ways to hike and you can do it free. You know, wherever you live, there's trails you can go. Even if you don't have hiking shoes, if you just, you know, obviously high heels ain't working if you're (laughs) you're trying to hike. (laughs) And and it's not about doing an entire, you know, long trail. It's about just getting out there. When people say, hey, I just did three miles. I say, get rid of the gist. You did three miles. That's amazing. You're out there doing the thing. Now that I have this this platform, I'm able to do things where I can give as far like I, for instance, I'm a backtrack a little bit. There was a group that I did an event for, or I went to an event with this group. It was a couple summers ago and they had invited eight families that never, no, was it? Yeah, I think it was eight families and and never hiked before or camped before. And they gave them gear. It was like, we're going to give you gear just so, you know, you can borrow the gear and all that. And uh, we'll teach you how to do all the things, pitch tent, all that. And then at the end, they were like, actually, we're going to let you have all this gear. You know, like it was headlamp, tent, backpack, all the things. It was a it was not cheap stuff. I thought that is the most amazing thing. You know, like you're giving a family that have never done anything like this a chance to experience it, Um, not just showing them and telling them about it but actually assisting them and handing them stuff that they're going to need to do the things. And then they can share it along the way to, you know, with their family and friends. So what I try to do is when companies approach me about, you know, Hey, we'll give you this. We do that. Like, I don't really do the whole like hosting for free stuff. I I don't do that. I partner up with people like companies and brands. If I feel like they're aligned with what I'm trying to do. So I'm going to say this, uh, I'm a sponsored athlete for Obos and Lakey. And they straight up said, whenever you want to give stuff away, let us know and we'll send it to you. So I'll do once a month or as I try to do as much as possible. I'll do a giveaway. Sometimes I'll have them like share something with me and whoever has the best story or whatever, or just maybe do a drawing. So I try to give that way. I know it's little, but, you know, I'm only one person. But if people see I'm doing this, then maybe others will continue, maybe mimic what I'm doing and we'll have more people out there doing it and we'll get more people out there in the outdoors. Yeah, I think that's really awesome. I, we greatly appreciate you being this evangelist for, for hiking 
And, and even if I hadn't read your book, you know, I, I can hear the passion for the culture, uh, the hiking culture, the spirit coming through, um, through, through what you're saying. And I think living in Appalachia, you know, I lived in the heart of central Appalachia. I grew up there. The mountains were just out my front door. It was just natural for me. I think I took for granted what I had, whether, whether central Appalachia on paper is the poorest in the region it's very rich in its natural beauty and other cultural aspects that it that it has. That being said, it's also important from a tourism perspective, you know, to bring people into the area to help them understand. So if you can get as many people out there hiking, if they did not have the means or they do have the means, I think that's really important. What would you recommend to someone just thinking about it, thinking about doing a, th- a through hike? You know, what would be your number one recommendation? First, find out if you like hiking. <laughs> don't don't, don't <laughs> do what I did. What you don't want to do is, let's say, take a group to a really hard climb. You know, like let's climb, let's summit, you know, this high, you know, mountain or whatever. It's going to be hard for someone that's never done it before. You know, and they're, they're and what in their mind, they're going to say hiking is super hard, which is not the case. Start simple. You know, um, go to your local parks have so many trails, you know, there's a lot of parks, you're surrounded by by parks, no matter where you are, and just walk, you know, start with, you know, a mile, whatever, whatever you think you can do, little by little do that, and then just grow from there. And then if you want to do, you know, longer hikes, or if you want to actually camp out, do a weekend or a day camp or like drive. My brother hates hiking. Okay. He thought he could hike, but he hates hiking, but he loves camping. So you'd rather just drive up to a camp spot and just camp, you know? Uh, And there's no right way to do the outdoors. There's no right way. You can do it any way you want. Okay. You can drive up to a camp spot. It's not wrong that my brother just likes that. Everyone has their own, you know, flavor, their own, their own way of like doing the outdoors. What's important is, is that you're doing the outdoors. That's the most important thing. So I would say you got to know who you are. You got to understand like, like my brother, I don't like hiking, you know, but he loves, he can sit outside of his tent and look up at the stars. That's amazing, you know, and he could, he could yep. do that for hours, just looking up at the stars. Sometimes I think I think he's looking for aliens, but that's, <laughs> that's his thing, you know, do so, that. But through hiking is is very, it's, it's special. Do some planning. Preparing yourself is the most important thing. And then it's your mind. You got to prepare your mind, not just the gear, but your mind. Know that you're going to be out there for a while and there's going to be ups and downs. It's not going to be all wonderful. The bad experience will turn into good experience. Like, and, and when you finish it, you're going to feel incredible because you're going to think about the ups and the downs. And when you got knocked down, got back up, look where you're at now. Yeah, that's perfect perspective. I, I, I mentioned the tourism aspect and you, I, I know you just went to trail days in Damascus. For those that don't know trail days, is, it's always the weekend after Mother's Day, but it brings in tens of thousands of people to, as they self describe themselves or have been described Damascus as one of the nicest towns along the Appalachian Trail. So they bring in, it brings in all these people, attracts all these people around the the hiking culture, really celebrating the trail, but also uh, it's kind of culmination of past and present hike uh, through hikers 
how is, I've never been to trail days. So how is it? How special is it for you as a, as a past through hiker? Last time I was at trail days was 10 years ago. So I approached this one. I was very curious how much it changed. Now, when I went there 10 years ago, the only people that knew me were um, just the people I through hiked with. And that was pretty much it. This time around was a little different for me because um, of my book and my talks and I've been educating about the outdoors. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a voice for the outdoors. And for me, it was, <laughs> I loved, it. I had the best time of my life. I, in fact, I'm not going to miss any more trail days. It's going to be something I do every year. That's um, awesome. Or at least I'm going to try. And it's not just other through hikers, like past, present. You have people that are really, you know, enthusiastic about the outdoors. You have people, locals. And you're right, that town is the most friendliest trail town out there. Um, and there's a, a handful on the Appalachian Trail. And yeah, Trail Days, AT Trail Days is the biggest outdoor hiking event in the country. And you have a lot of vendors out there. And it was probably a quarter of the vendors 10 years ago. Now it's just blown up. And then you have talent shows. Talent shows are great because I, I don't know if they stay, still do it this way, but the only ones that could perform in the talent shows are current through hikers, whoever's through hiking right now, which is amazing. And then you have talks. I did a talk. The energy is amazing. It was almost as if I was, all the feelings I had when I was through hiking, I had there without having to do the hard work, without having to be out there, you know, on the trail through hiking. Um, it's a great experience. If people are really interested or love the outdoors, love hiking, all that, if you're on the West Coast, whether it's the PCT, CDT, go to AT Trail Days. It's the most amazing, you're going to have the most amazing experience ever. That, that's great. We always like promoting the region as much as possible to attract people, to bring them there. And so if you haven't ever checked out, even if it's not Trail Days, that that and you're interested in hiking, you're interested in the outdoors, that, that's a great place to go the damascus area of virginia the southwest part of virginia it's really cool it's funny it's funny that you mentioned that because i'm from new york city and i'm currently in alabama writing my second book but I, as i was i drove up from alabama to Asheville, and then i drove over two hours um the next day to damascus and the person i was with i was like while we were driving i was like this is my favorite this is the South for me. I love this part of the South. This is my favorite. There's something about it that I love so much. So yeah, when the AT goes through Damascus, yeah, through the town of Damascus and back out, and I had gone through it, and then I was several miles, several hundred miles uh, north from it, but I didn't want to miss trail days when I was through hiking. So I got a ride back just to go back to Damascus and hang out there. And you're right, they're the most friendliest I think it was at the church. The church had a sign outside and it said, we love our hikers. It, it, it's nice to really hear your perspective, especially someone from New York. And I think this question, your perspective has probably, or I can probably guarantee it's changed over time. But what's the first thing now? What's the first thing you think of when I say the word Appalachia? It's what changed my, it changed everything for me. It changed. I wouldn't be right here. I wouldn't even be in Alabama right here if it wasn't for the Appalachian Trail. It flipped my world around and made me into a different person. Uh, the AT, 
I'll never forget this. And I said this earlier, the AT is my first love. I'll never, I can do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more trails. And I will, I will, the Appalachian Trail will always have a special place in my heart um, because man, since I was super young, I've always wanted to be published, but, and I've had a lot of work. I've written manuscripts that I just have on my shelf and haven't really done anything with because I, and I wasn't confident enough to share these stories. They were really for me. And when I got off the trail, even before I started writing, I said, I'm going to publish this story. There was something about it. Anytime I feel that strongly about something, but, but I don't know the end of it, I know I'm on the right track because I don't think about what could go wrong. I think about how I really want this to happen. So the AT, man, there's a, again, there's a lot of layers to that. I hope when people see me and I could be doing a lot of other different pieces of work, I'm not always going to be writing about hiking. There's going to be other things I'm going to write about, but I hope when people see me, they say, Hey, he started on the Appalachian trail and that's what changed his life. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. How, uh, just that word, the special place uh, for you personally. In tune with that, like I said before, our podcast is grounded on place and perspective. Place is really important in Appalachia. It's like a character in and unto itself. That being said, I wanted to ask you just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? That's a, that's a tricky question because I love New York. New York City, I, I love New York. And I remember when, even when I lived in Italy, I said, I'm, I thought I was going to live in Europe for the rest of my life. And then I got homesick and wanted to go, to go back to New York. After I hiked the AT, I didn't go straight back to New York. I was living uh, somewhere else. And then I went back to New York. For most of my life, I would say New York was my home. I now know it's not, I'm not going to go back to the city because of my experience on the AT and because of all the other adventures and, and, you know, my work, I think my home is going to be, and I say this all the time, in a cabin somewhere near a small town where I can just do some writing for the rest of my life. That's where home is going to be. We just always appreciate the answers to that question. They're all, they're always different, but uh, everyone always has this sense sense of place or sense of home that they come back to when they think about it. I appreciate your time. Again, I wanted to thank you so much. You mentioned before, you mentioned a few times that you have just completed the second of the three rings of the Triple Crown, the Continental Divide, um, the third one being the Pacific Crest Trail. To close this out, what was harder, the CDT or the Appalachian Trail? CDT, without a doubt, was harder. And that goes, and, and, and the AT, remember, I had zero experience with the AT. Right. CDT, way harder. Um, you're starting 100 miles in the desert. I don't like hiking in the desert. Um, you're climbing up and down these mountains in Colorado, and you're racing against the weather. And when you get to Colorado, you hit like 10,000 feet, and then you kind of stay at like, you know, 12,000 feet. And then you're up and down these mountains. You hit 13ers, you hit 14ers, and you know, 13ers and 14ers are like 13,000 feet mountains that you're hitting. And then when you hit the summit, you got to get there early because like clockwork, every afternoon is going to be a storm up there. So then you're racing back down. And that kind of took away from it because I wasn't really able to enjoy myself as much as I wish I could. I climbed up my second 14er, it was Gray's Peak. And I, a storm is coming. I couldn't go. It would take me longer to go back. So I had to climb up to the top 
And when I got to the top, I took a video of it. It was like a 360 video. And right behind me, there was a cloud just coming right to me. And I just like started running, booking. And I'm just going. It was like kind of rock steps. And I'm just racing. I'm stumbling, running, running, running just to get away. Because if I get caught up there, and I did get caught one time up on a 13er, it was the most dangerous thing that ever happened. I thought I was going to be done. So it's super hard. That said, the views on the CDT, they're unbeatable. That I will say. It was the most incredible views I've ever seen. There were parts of the CDT, like the glacier section in Montana. I didn't even, I didn't know that mountains could look like that. It didn't even look like we were on um, a real planet. It looked like something out of a, a, a fantasy, like fantasy book or something. It was amazing. Yeah. It was very, very, very challenging. I could see why people normally, when they do a triple crown, the CDT is the last through hike because they're like, I'm not through hiking ever again. <laughs> I was curious about that. You know, people talk about the triple crown all the time and it's a, it's an amazing feat. But I wanted to thank you not only for taking the time today, but I'm looking forward to reading that next book about the CDT. But I wanted to thank you really for, for being a voice not only for the hiking community, the hiking culture, uh, just getting out there in nature, but also I think for the Appalachian region in general, you have become a voice for the Appalachian Trail. But when I consider the trail, I also consider the region. So I just want to thank you for that and appreciate it and appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Always good to like do something like this and have not just have a good time, but also learn from it. This was an amazing talk. So cool. thanks a lot. Man. Appreciate it. Neil, man, I, I really appreciate Derek's time on the on the episode, the time he spent with us. He's just a pure storyteller. I mean, if you've read his book, which I have, it's just story after story, chapter after chapter of entertainment for one. But it has a purpose. I mean, like we talked about in the interview, you know, he focuses on a lot in the book, but it's really his his journey through the Appalachian Trails and, and what culminated throughout his journey. But really how it has, as he talked about, really changed his course of life, not necessarily an epiphany, but just changed his course of in, in life of what he wanted to focus on and what he really cares about now. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, Will. Great guest, great speaker. Yeah, he has a tenacious attitude when it comes to trying new things. I I guess that's needless to say, but I I found it pretty interesting. You think you could, without having hiked ever in your life, dropped everything and just got on the AT. You think you could have done it? Man, I think I would like to think that I could have, but at what stage of life would I have actually done it? That's a good I mean, point. You know, like I can't, I couldn't do it now. Certainly would not happen right now. Yeah. And you know? Derek mentioned, you know, when he did it, he didn't have a lot of other responsibilities. So it was a perfect time in his life to do it. Since then, you know, he, he just recently finished the Continental Divide as well. You know, majority of his life is focused on the outdoors, promoting the outdoors. So uh, obviously he had some sponsorships to do that. And um, yeah, I agree with you. There's no way I could do it now. Earlier in my life, I could have set a, set aside some time, but could I have done it? I yeah, think it's more of a I, mental thing. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to 
you know, say this out loud very often. There's no doubt in my mind that, that you could do it and make it through it. Me, on the other hand, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I 100% believe you could. I don't ever <laughs> tell anybody I said that, okay? With your, pretty, with your pretty boy nature, I might have to agree with that. We've already discussed you take three showers a day. It's not a pretty boy nature. It's, it's, it's a way of life. I mean, I don't, it's not like I intend to be this way. It just, it's, it's natural. <laughs> i give you that. <laughs> I'll take one for the team here and, and score Will for the AT. You think you could use it like we asked, like, I, like we mentioned in the interview, the elephant in the room. You think you could, on a daily basis, use the bathroom in the woods? On uh, a daily basis? Like, <laughs> if it's life and death, but... You know, it's not gonna be my it's not gonna be my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna change the diet quite a bit. <laughs> you think maybe maybe try to limit it to every other day. No no fiber, no fiber <laughs> diet while you're on the AT. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting to hear from from Derek just about not only his journey, but how he did it, why he did it, what he accomplished, what he continues to accomplish as he, you know, spread the word about the AT, about the outdoors. We appreciate what he's doing, where he's been, where he's going. And anybody that will spread the word about Appalachia is a fan of ours. So uh, we want to thank him again for his time. Yes, sir. Really appreciate him coming on. Look forward to hearing more about his journey as, as he continues. You got a, how about a, how about a app biz of the week for me, Will? You got one to highlight today? Yeah, tonight? I do. There, there, there's one I, I do want to highlight. Actually, there's a couple I want to highlight in reference to what we were talking about with Derek, what we were talking about in, uh, before in the intro in regards to trail days. I mentioned that trail days is held in Damascus every year, something that Derek just attended. I wanted to mention that because I've been to Damascus recently and they their downtown from what I've heard has really been rejuvenated from being on the AT, but also from a, lo- a lot of local leaders that have started businesses downtown and their, their main street there has really grown over the last five, 10 years from what I've been told from speaking with people in Damascus. And I just want to mention a couple of businesses there. And if you're in the area, you should definitely check out. One of those is Southern Threads Boutique. I don't think they have a website, but they do have a Facebook page. It's Southern Threads Boutique. If you're in the area, interested in a little shopping, check them out. There's also Outfitters there in Damascus that sells a lot of hiking gear. You can check them out. We'll post them in the show notes as well. But I also wanted to mention the distillery and the brewery there, which are cool additions to the downtown of Damascus. And they are the Appalachian Heritage Distillery and the Damascus Brewery. Both good options, both right there, literally on the Appalachian Trail. Like I said, you have to walk down the sidewalk and you can run into these locations. 
They're fairly new, have opened fairly recently. So you can check it out. You can check out trail days. You can visit this small town, the Virginia Creeper Trail, which we talked about last week, runs right through there. There are several trails that connect right in Damascus, which helps with tourism, which is what we're focused on in this episode as well. It brings a lot of people to Damascus and uh, these shops are there to partake. So if you are ever in the area, check out Southern Threads, the Outfitters there, Appalachian Heritage Distillery, and the Damascus Brewery. Yes, sir. Definitely spots I'm going to hit up on my next trip to Damascus. All right, Neil, since we have wrapped that up, I want to really thank Derek for his time. Look forward to his new book that's coming out on his journey through the Continental Divide Trail. So I want to thank him again and appreciate his time. Yes, sir. Thanks, Derek. Talk to you soon. I guess without further ado, Neil, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains again.